Enviro Show with Nancy Richards. And it is indeed the Enviro Show coming to you from Cape Town, the greenest show on the station. I'm Nancy Richards. We're together with Garnet and Quinica at the controls. And back in town, the wandering Kim Winter back from Mozambique safe. And I have to say very, very sound, which is a good thing. And I hope we'll hear a little bit more about her sounds at some stage here on SAFM. So nice to have you back, Kim. Well done. So what we got on the show tonight? Well, let me give you a let me give you an idea. First, we're going to be talking to Dr. Karen Surridge Tolbert. She is the centre manager for something called Record, which stands for Renewable Energy Centre of Research and Development. We'll be hearing a little bit more about uh, women in energy too. Then after that, talking of women, uh, Danielle Jacobson, all of 17 years old she is. She's an award-winning student at the ESCOM Expo for Young Scientists uh, for her project, which is the use of nanotechnology in the optimization of microbial fuel cells. So get your head around that one, because uh, I'm certainly going to be doing that in just a minute. And then after that, Grant Morgan is the technical director at Efficient Microbes. He'll be explaining that too. And to close in our green goodie feature, a fish farm in a container. Now, if that's not a green goodie idea, I'm not sure what. And don't forget, if you've got an idea that you think is really uh, really something that's doing the environment a favour, no matter how complex, no matter how simple it may be, let us know. We're at enviro at safm.co.za. And don't forget, if you want to share, you're welcome, the number to call us on right now. If you want to do it live and direct, it's 0892 10 0892 2010. But before we do any of that, let me remind you, in case you didn't know, that next week it's World Food Day coming up on the 16th, I think it is. It's definitely a day to celebrate the wonderful gift that food is, but uh, a day also to be aware perhaps that it's not everyone who's able to get themselves enough food just to get by. Bit of a wicked thought, given the amount of food that ends up in rubbish bins and landfills. Well, on that note, we thought we would have a little word with Food Bank. They're doing all sorts of wonderful things around the country. So we have on the line Muzi Nkala. He's a Food Bank Regional Manager in KZN. And I uh, got him on the line to tell us all about it. Hi, Muzi. Hi, good evening, Nancy and the listeners. Thanks very much for joining us. Muzi, um, World Food Day. I mean, I was just saying there, I guess it is a day to celebrate, but it's also a day to really be thinking about how many people have got enough food and how many haven't. At the food bank there, I suppose, um, in KZN, I suppose you've got a bit of an idea of just how many people just don't have enough to eat. Who are you able to help and how many are they? In KZN, uh, probably in the country for now, we uh, nationally, we addressing, I think we are uh, assisting about 1,300 non-profit organizations, which translates to more than 300,000 people in the country that Food Bank South Africa is helping. And in KZN alone, we're looking at about 66,000 people that we are supplying food uh, daily. Uh, They are from uh, 160 non-profit organizations in the community of KZN. Sure, that's a lot of people. And it sounds to me like something of a logistical nightmare. Um, You know, 1,300 non-profit organizations, that's an interesting figure. But 66,000 people, 160 NPOs just in your... uh, in your area alone, it's a lot of management, isn't it? That's right. Where are you getting the food from, firstly? We're getting the food from the food manufacturing companies like your Nestle, your Unilever, and also your retailers like your Pick and Pays, uh, your Cambridge. And we're also getting food from 
the farmers, mainly the emerging farmers, because we've got a procurement program as well from the emerging farmers. That's where we are getting food. I can I can understand that you know the pick and pays and the food manufacturers. I, I, you know, one of the things that worries me, and I'm sure it worries a lot of people, is the idea of food that has a very short lifespan. Really, you, you must be moving food around very very quickly, or is it only um, non-perishables that you deal in? We are doing a lot of non-perishables uh, as well as perishables. But the perishables, we make sure that we take what is still good for human consumption and. Yes, the turnaround time for us to deliver the food, it gets to be quick. At times, it comes straight from the retailer uh, to the beneficiary. Mm. And goes through how many hands? I mean, how does it... Just give us an idea. Let's, let's take um, one manufacturer from whom you're getting food. Give us an idea of the food chain or how the food bank food chain works. Okay, let, let me probably give you a, a, an example of Albany Bakery where we will get a, a lot of bread from Albany. And we, in KZN alone, we've got about nine trucks that's, that we are using. So we'll get bread from Albany. And it's either it's going to a, a soup kitchen, for an example, a soup kitchen which cook on site. So obviously when we deliver that food uh, at the soup kitchen, it will be consumed at the same time or same day. Or it's either it will be going to a home-based care uh, organization where uh, there will be food parcels packed for families. So if it gets there the same day, it will then move uh, to, 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 to that family, or rather the family will be ready to receive it, and they will be consuming it the same day or the following day. So it's not so many hands that hang the food before it gets cooked get to be consumed. Yes, and not now, so, yeah. Now, that will be from retailers. When you look at manufacturers, like I spoke of Nestle and them, it's not so short-dated. Uh, it could be something that you still have six months, even a year, before it expires. So it's not really something that will be expiring in the next month or so. So if it's not expiring, it's, I'm you know not denying the fact that they're giving it to you, but if, it, if it's not anywhere near its expiry date, are they not still able to sell it? I, I think the partnership that we have with all these food companies, uh, so the, some it gets to the donations. You know in South Africa we've got the CSI, uh, Corporate Social Responsibility, mm. where any company has a responsibility of making a difference in the community. So through their CSI programs, they are able to say, because we've got a partnership with Food Bank South Africa, we are then donating to Food Bank South Africa. And also it could be that an organization has changed, is changing brand. I'll give you an example. 2010 FIFA World Cup, there could have been things that were branded FIFA World Cup. And after that, even though it has a shelf life, but it will be a nightmare for them to repackage. They, they, they then remember that we've got a partnership with Food Bank. It could be used by people who are in need. Mm. Uh, and also, you look at the Easter things could be branded Easter uh, uh, for, for the Easter holidays. Uh, a week later, it can't be on the shelves. It needs to be moved, even though it still has two years' shelf life. So it's things like that. 
you know, one would like to think that your organisation weren't necessary, but clearly it is. Do you think that, in your experience, having been at Food Bank for some time, do you think that it's your business is growing? Um, in other words, are there more people offloading their stuff to you and are there more people needing? Or are you finding that, you know, perhaps that one day you won't be necessary? Uh, our hope is that one day we should not be in existence mm. uh, because the aim is to solve the hunger problem in the country. Now, if you want to be here permanently, it will mean that we're not really solving anything. So, yes, the business is growing because we are saying South Africa, uh, we may have 11 million people uh, affected by hunger, but we also do have enough food that could feed everyone that lives in South Africa. The only thing that is short is coordinated way of helping all the people who don't have access to food. So Food Bank South Africa is trying to be a solution uh, to coordinate that food which is available but not reaching the most needy people. Yeah. Yes, we hope that one day uh, organizations like Food Bank South Africa will not be necessary because the hunger or poverty will be history. Indeed. Absolutely. What a, what a wonderful way of putting it. And it just shows if we all work together, how one can work magic. And a wonderful thing about your organisation is that it's, it's twofold. It's not just that you're feeding hungry people, but it's also preventing all that food, so much of which would otherwise end up in landfills and rubbish dumps. Musi, thank you very much and very best of luck. I'm going to give out your website if anybody would like to know more about what you do or maybe they'd like to help, which would be very nice. Very best of luck. Get some sleep now and uh, good luck. Thank you. Take thank care. you very much. Thanks thank a you. lot. Muzi Nkala, the Food Bank Regional Manager in KZN. Well, if we would like to phone, uh, we'll find out a little bit more about it. And I do think it's such a good idea. It's heartbreaking to see food in dumps, isn't it? And uh, and it also rots and does all sorts of awful things to the landfills as well. So check them out. It's www.foodbank.org.za. And we will put that up uh, on our Facebook page. It's foodbank.org.za. Stay with us. The Enviro Show. Indeed, and our Facebook page, incidentally, is the Enviro Show on SAFM. Well, last week, the Gallagher Convention Centre was apparently absolutely abuzz with women at their Women in Energy Forum that was organised by the South African National Energy Development Institute. And very much there was also Dr. Karen Surridge-Tolbert. She's the Centre Manager for Senedi's RECORD, which stands for Renewable Energy Centre of Research and Development, which, as the name suggests, is all about renewables. Well, to explain what that really means to you and me, renewables, uh, renewable energy is one of those buzzwords that sort of start, or one of those buzz phrases that's starting to get thrown around. And I think we need to find out exactly what it means. And I think Karen is probably just the right person. Hi, Karen. Hi, Nancy. Nice to have you with us. How was the uh, Women in Energy Forum last week? Um, it was great. It was very well attended. Lots of ladies coming into the energy sector now, so lots of good vibes and a good buzz. Hmm. <laughs> why, why women? Was it because that there are not enough women in the industry or many women that needed to be showcased, or was it the idea to encourage more women? Well, of course, we're always looking to encourage more women into these sectors, but of course, in the past as well, um, it's been sort of a male-dominated sector because there's a lot of engineering that's involved. Um, so women are really making inroads into the sector at the moment, but of course women and men work together towards the common goals um, for a better good in South Africa. 
So last week we were showcasing women in energy. Okay. South African National Energy Development Institute. It's, it's kind of a mouthful. What, what is it? <laughs> Just, uh, um, you know, unpack it for us a little bit. Yes, of course. Well, um, in the past, many people may have known us as the South African National Energy Research Institute, SANERI. Um, but what happened is SANERI and NIA, the National Energy Efficiency Agency, merged and formed SANEDI, our South African National Energy Development Institute. Um, essentially what SANEDI does is we have a public interest and perspective to develop low-carbon technologies that, um, and then ensure the diffusion of those into the market. So essentially we're looking at working with all energy except nuclear, um, and it's on a research and development basis. Maybe I can just unpack for you a little bit the different sectors that we focus on within SANEDI. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're aligned to government strategic objectives, um, striving towards this low-carbon economy, so we have various centers of research and development that fall within our, our portfolios, as we call them. So we have six main portfolios, um, several of which contain these research and development centers. So the first one, just in brief, I'll run through them. We have the Advanced Fossil Fuel Portfolio, and within that one falls the South African Center for Carbon Capture and Storage. And you may be aware that they were also in the news last week um, when the minister spoke at their third conference um, endorsing South Africa's plan towards a carbon capture roadmap. Mm. Um, then we have the Working for Energy portfolio. This grew out of Working for Water, and essentially it looks at off-grid energy for rural areas um, and low-income households. Then we have the Green Transport Center, which looks at electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, um, and the rollout of, of, of vehicles that would run on you know, either biodiesel or gas or so forth. Then we have the energy efficiency sector, and that that looks that grew out of the old NIA, or in fact that is the old NIA, and they look at energy efficiency um, generally on a large scale, tax incentives, energy efficient buildings. Then we have the smart grids. Um, within smart grids comes also, of course, your energy balance data collection, and we have the data um, a point for that in South Africa, looking at energy balances and how smart grids. That would be goods that control the flow of energy between producers and consumers. And finally, the portfolio that I'd like to end with is the Clean Energy Solutions Portfolio, and that's the one that I fit into. Um, the Renewable Energy Center of Research and Development, RECORD, sits in that one. And what we essentially do is that we, um, we're a virtual center and we rely on integrating universities, government agencies, donors, and industry with each other. We have a mandate to coordinate renewable energy research and development in the country. Sure. That's, uh... <laughs> that sounds like quite a mouthful, I yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm thinking... But at least it gives a little bit of structure to how things fit within Sanity. Yes. Um, and as I say, we are the implementing arm of the Department of mm. Energy. Mm. I'm thinking, I'm sort of scribbling down as you're writing here, I'm thinking actually what we need to do is perhaps find out a little bit more about each and every one of these different portfolios because as you rattle them off, they sound a little bit, if you'll forgive me, sort of academic and I'm thinking, well, I what, know. Are, what does and, this and mean? And they're not you know? actually, they're on the ground yeah. and they are doing real research that is applicable to the country. Let's talk a little bit about the research and development aspect. When you say research, to find out what it already exists or to how each and every one of those can be bettered and how perhaps... Um, you know, 
people in, in different sort of uh, educational institutions can be working on them to produce bigger and better or more efficient and more effective uh, uh, products, if you like? Well, yes, well, in fact, it's all of, all of those. Um, it's looking at already existing products, making them more efficient or uh, making them a, have a better carbon footprint, if I can put it that way, um, striving towards our low-carbon economy. But then, of course, also looking at innovation of new uh, technologies that can be used in the, um, in, the, in the energy sector in the country, obviously always with a goal in mind, um, of energy security for South Africa, and then, of course, we always keep job creation in mind as well. So a lot of what is done is academic research, but as I say, what we do try to do is um, get government agencies, donors, and industry involved with academics, also to get academics that are doing similar research to work together um, towards common goals. And that, of course, increases their capacity. And that's another thing that RECORD does. We, we do a lot of work in the capacity building sector. Um, and I can give you a couple of examples of that, if you like. Yeah. Um, specifically, if we, if we go back to the woman in energy, um, we've recently, <coughs> apologies, uh, in conjunction with several other um, uh, role players, sent, uh, or sent and had trained the first lady wind turbine technician for South Africa. Mm. She was sent to Germany, and she did a three-month course. Um, she's an engineer, and she's now qualified to work on wind energy or wind turbines in South Africa. And this was done through the South African Renewable Energy Technology Center, which Sanedi has been instrumental in helping to get established, and that's based at Cape Peninsula University of Technology. Hmm. Um, and at the moment, they are in the process of training another batch of technicians that will, in fact, be trainers in South Africa for people to work on the wind industry as it's being rolled out at present. Yeah. Well, wind industry is, is something that we definitely need to talk about a little bit more here on the show because there's a little bit of controversy about it. But... Everything that you are talking about here feels like it's sort of un, not entirely untapped, but undertapped, if you know what I mean, because climate change is something that's new, it's happened in the, or it's been happening over a period of time, but everybody's beginning to get the, the scales lifted from their eyes and realising that there's all sorts of areas that we need to be moving in here. Whether or not South Africa is, is leading the field or following the field, I'm not sure, but it does mean that we have to be very conscious of what's going on elsewhere in the world. Are you, Sanedi, is it, are you working in conjunction with other countries in Africa as a starter? Absolutely, yes. Um, of course, many countries in the SADC region, the Southern African region. But then, of course, we, we as Sanedi, do a lot of work internationally anyway, across the world. Um, and a lot of um, what we do do is, for example, this, this training of the technicians we, we did with the help of the German government and the German development agency, GIZ. So there are also several other agencies that um, Finetti works with, um, either as a donor or as a, um, a trade agency, so where we would provide something to them, they provide something back to us um, in the form of you know, in-kind training or financial support also, and so forth. Is your, I mean, aside from talking to the nation right now, is part of your, your portfolio or the whole of Sinedi's portfolio to educate people, to, to explain more simply what all these things are all about? We definitely, it's not our main role, <clears throat> but we definitely do strive to do that. And in mm. fact, within record, we have a dedicated section of our work plan to doing exactly that. 
um, I always feel, and maybe I can just explain by way of example here, that you know, to reach the nation, you have to reach the children as well. So we've recently um, uh, implemented a, a children's art competition. Okay. And what happened was we, we had a consultant who went out into the areas where they are rolling out wind energy and solar energy in the country and educated the children in the schools, and that was grade one, twos, and threes, um, on what the wind energy is, what the turbines are, what the PV panels are that they're seeing, the photovoltaics, how we harness the wind's power and the sun's power to make their lives better with energy. Mm. And then they had to draw little um, pictures of how they thought that this would improve their lives and how they would see it in their lives. And we, uh, there was a competition. There were prizes provided to the winning pupils and also to the schools. And every pupil that entered also got um, a pack of stationery and, and pens and things for their school, you know, to use with, at school. Um, and we've just produced a calendar, a lovely little calendar of all these winning artworks okay. um, to show people that we're actually trying to get the word out there. And, I mean, where, where better to start than at the grassroots when your child comes home from school and tells you, guess what I learned today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, they're going to be the wind turbine engineers of tomorrow. So I Absolutely, guess absolutely. And this is where that seed is sown and where it, should, it has to grow from. Hmm. Well, Karen, I think we're definitely going to sign you and some of your colleagues up um, perhaps in the future on the show because, you know, all those other things that you mentioned all sound like I'm dying to know a little bit more about each and every one of them. So we'll Absolutely. be in touch again. Be and thank you very much. In the meantime, I'm going to give out the record website, which is probably the right one to give. Is it www.record.org.za? Yes, that one Perfect. or our Sanedi website as well. Which is um, www.sanedi.org. Lovely. Before I forget them, let me read them out once again. Karen Turnbull, uh, uh, Karen Surridge Talbot, thank you very much, Centre Manager for Record, that stands for Renewable Energy Centre of Research and Development. You can find them on www.record.org.za, but if you want to find out more about Sanedi generally, it's sanedi.org.za, and I think we'll put those probably up on our Facebook page as well. Well, moving there from Karen, a woman who's been in the energy biz for some time, too, and she did say that we need to involve the children. Well, we got ourselves a real live children in the studio with me. She's someone who is probably a little bit newer to uh, the concept of environmental issues, sort of. She's 17-year-old Danielle Jacobson. She's an award-winning student all the way from uh, Camps Bay High in uh, Cape Town, just down the road, in fact. And she won herself at the ESCOM Expo for Young Scientists for her project. She won an award, and the project is called The Use of Nanotechnology in the Optimization of Microbial Fuel Cells. Right, Danielle, lovely to have you with us, and I'm looking forward to finding out exactly what your project's all about. Before we find out about where you've all been with your various uh, you know, awards and uh, recognition and so on. Just explain this project in words of two syllables that we can all get our heads <laughs> around. Okay. Okay, so what I did is I looked to improve the traditional microbial fuel cell, which is an emerging form of alternative energy, which uses the excess protons and electrons that are generated by um, the natural process of respiration in all microorganisms um, to create electricity. And I used single-wall carbon nanotube-based fiber electrodes, which I created myself, um, 
to greatly increase the surface area available for electron exchange with the microbe. So a single carbon nanotube is basically a monolayer of carbon, like a single atom layer of carbon that's rolled into a tube, and they're highly thermally and electrically conductive. So what I did with them is I actually coated different types of fibers with these nanotubes to make them conductive. And I chose fibers because it's highly porous and there's like a large amount of uh, surface area. Um, and I found that my fiber-based electrodes that were coated with single-wall carbon nanotubes were about 2,600 times more efficient than the electrodes that are currently being used in microbial fuel cells today in the literature. Hmm. And then the second part of my project looks at paramagnetizing yeast, which were the microbes that I used in my fuel cell. And what I did is I used super paramagnetic nanoparticles, which are basically nanoparticles of iron oxide, rust. Um, that bound to the cell walls of the yeast and make it positively responsive to a magnetic field. So basically it draws all the yeast out of solution to a magnet. So I incorporated a magnet into my electrode design to draw all the yeast in solution directly on top of the electrode so the probability of electrons donated to the electrode was higher and I found that in fact my current with the magnet was higher than without the magnet. Positive response. You'll have to forgive me if I laugh because I'm thinking, heaven help me if anybody says, did you get that, Nancy? Because I'm going to say, no, I'm afraid I didn't. You have lost me ever so slightly, Danielle. I'm sorry. But no, 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 no. It's been fascinating to hear these words rolling off your tongue and fascinating to know that you know exactly what you're talking about and what they mean. But if you can just sort of simplify it yes, for us. Of course. What does it mean in, in terms of how useful is it going to be? What will we be able to do with your project? Um, microbial fuel cells today are an emerging form of alternative energy, so they're mm. not viable for immediate commercial use. Okay. But my project is really research for upscaling in the future. It's proof of concept. But at, at the moment, microbial fuel cells are being used um, actually on the ocean floor. Um, you could put an electrode in the water and an electrode in the sediment, which has the microbes, and that'll generate electricity. And they're using those to power underwater microphones as well as sonar equipment. Um, for the future, microbial fuel cells have a large application in wastewater treatment plants because there's lots of microbial activity mm. there. And it's literally human waste that we're trying to get rid of. And wastewater treatment plants also use an extraordinary amount of electricity. So if they can be somewhat self-sustaining and generate part of the electricity that they're using that could reduce our carbon footprint. Yeah, it sounds like a... a I, understand that, I understood that mm -hmm. second bit <laughs> rather better, I have to say. So where do you take it from here? Well, maybe before we... Where, where do you go with it? How did it start for you? I mean, how, do you, how did you hit on using microbial fuel cells? Um, well, I didn't just wake up one morning were you was given like... A, were you given a brief? Were you given a sort of a... This is what we want for this particular expo? No, not at all. Um, it started out with my school in grade 11. I'm in matric now. Mm. But I started last year um, in about April doing this project. And it was on a much smaller scale. I was using probiotics from the health store. I was, you know, whipping up salt bridges on the kitchen top and sawing PVC pipes in the garage. Um, and now I'm working in the Stellenbosch University laboratories and having, like, professional equipment, sterile technique, that sort of thing. So it's really progressed every step of the way. And the idea of microbial fuel cells was my own sort of choice to do. Mm -hmm. I wasn't told to do it. Um, but the level of the project where it's at now 
every step of the project sort of taught me something new and then I built on that to get to the next stage and it's just sort of a domino effect. I didn't mm. think I would be where I am now um, when I started. I suppose, you know, it it would help that these sort of words and these sort of concepts are in your DNA. There are, you know, you, you do know about these things. I'm thinking, who would ever know about such things? But your father is, in fact, a researcher at Stellenbosch University. Yes. So you've kind of grown up with this sort of thing. Has it, and he's actually sitting outside. Yeah. So you, um, has he spoken about this sort of thing quite a lot with you? I mean, it feels like, sounds like you have a sort of natural affinity for it. But is it something that you discussed a lot, even since you were very small? Um, he never f sort of encouraged me to go into science. He was mm. very open to me doing anything. He didn't push me into it. Um, but him being in this field, it has given me an opportunity to speak sort of on the same level with, with him about it. Um, it's no longer sort of a father-daughter relationship. It's more of a professional relationship yeah. with regards to my project, um, which I think is actually really nice. Mm. What comes across very strongly is that you clearly have a, a passion for it. This is not something you just had to do, so you've just yes. gone ahead and done it, and everybody said, how wonderful, aren't you clever? Um, you're really very passionate about it. Is it the is it the process? I mean, is it the, the carving the PVC and doing it all hands-on and sort of moments of discovery? Is it the sort of eureka moments that, that fire you up? Or is it the idea of actually being able to produce something, some sort of alternative energy for the future? I mean, are you concerned about how things are looking for the future? I think it'd have to be the second one. Like, obviously, mm. both of them are great. So when I discover what, what was going wrong and how to fix it, that's an amazing moment in science, how to move forward. But it's also, next year, I want to study environmental engineering. Um, and I've always been passionate about the environment. So this is very right down my alley. Where are you going to go with this now? I think you've been awarded. Um, it, you were in Arizona in May. Yes, this is actually there? my um, second year okay. participating in the ESCOM Expo for uh, young scientists. I started, like I said, in grade 11. And from regionals, I moved to nationals. And then at nationals last year, I was selected to go to Intel ISAF, which is the Intel Science International Science and Engineering Fair, which is the largest and most prestigious science fair in the whole world. Um, and then that was this year in May. And I was one of nine South Africans to go and represent our country at the science fair. Um, but I liked it so much that I decided to come back again. So I s continued with my project and presented an updated version at regionals this year, which was at um, the Good Hope Center, and it was in August. And then from then, I was again selected to go to nationals for the second year in a row, mm. where I won um, various prizes. Well, it certainly put your name on the map, and it certainly put your name on the map in a very important area. But your your peers, other other guys and girls of your sort of age group, do you feel that there's sufficient of an awareness of of environmental issues? I mean, you're you're wanting to study, take this further. Other other people that you know, do you feel that more could be done? That maybe you could be a perhaps a sort of poster girl for it. I I definitely agree that. I know in my school, at least, we do have an environmental club and we've been okay. doing a lot of fundraising recently to plant trees with green pop um, and that's happening very soon. So there are a lot of students at my school that are passionate about this and I know that since I've done so well in Science Expo, the rest of the school, inclu including the lower grades, are actually really excited about getting involved in science and doing the ESCOM Expo for young scientists. So th lastly, Daniel, the next step then is, I mean, you're in doing the trick this yes. year. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Finals in two yes, weeks. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And then next year? 
um, university, obviously. I, yeah. I'm not going to take a gap year. Okay. Well, it sounds like you've got a whole lot of work to do. It sounds like you've got a lot under your belt already, but it's been really fascinating, despite the fact that I haven't <laughs> understood everything that you've said, Danielle. Well done. Thank you very much. Thank and you for good having luck. me. No, it's totally our pleasure. Danielle Jacobson, and yes, you can have give her a round of applause on her <laughs> project once again, the use of nanotechnology in the optimization of microbial fuel cells. 17 years old, learner at Camps Bay High School. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Nancy. And you're listening to The Enviro Show here on SFM. Stay with us. Are you up to date with the world of property? For all things property, what are your rights as a property owner and or purchaser? Are you a tenant or the landlord and you need advice? What is the value of your investment in commercial property in South Africa? What matters are of importance in discussing land ownership? Trust us to simplify and help you understand the detail in all things property. Join me, Dineo Mulomo, every week on Tuesday morning on Morning Talk at 10.30. The Enviro Show. Well, it's the Enviro Show indeed it is, and I hope that you managed to follow everything that Danielle was telling us there. I'll say it's pretty impressive stuff, and I think at some stage I might need to unpack it further to find out exactly what it all means. But interesting listening to also to what Danielle had to say has been Grant Morgan. And Grant is the technical director at Efficient Microbes, where they make 100% natural microbial, that's bacterial, products for agriculture, livestock farming, home use, environmental remediation, which means what exactly? Well, let's find out and let's get the layman's version. In uh, simple terms, we've got Grant on the line. Hi, Grant. Hi, Nancy. How are you doing? Excellent. Nice to have you with us. Thank you. Were you able to listen to what Danielle had to say? You know what, I came in a little bit late on the conversation, so I, I, I literally heard your description of what she was involved in, which I, I thought was quite fascinating, and I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry that I missed it. Never mind, but she is somebody nonetheless that you might want to watch out for. I think she's a, definitely a name to watch for the future. But Grant, let's find out a little bit about you and what you do, or at least what efficient microbes. Can, can you just very, very simply explain to us what a microbe is and how it gets to be efficient? Okay, so you essentially, when we're talking about microbes, we're talking about microorganisms. Uh, some of the more scientifically oriented people might get a little bit upset because they want to classify these things in different terms, and you've got funguses and you've got different classifications and bacteria, and they come in a whole host of names. But literally for the layman, what we're talking about is single-cell microorganisms. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that by far, they are the most common life form on planet Earth. They exist in every single environment that man is, that you could possibly think of. From the deepest sea to the highest mountains, uh, they've been discovered three miles below Earth in rocks. Uh, you know, it's, it's literally microorganisms are everywhere. You know, when you wake up in the morning, there are probably 400 species of microorganisms that are on your teeth. So, so, so some of them would be good and some of them would be bad? Yeah. From, from our standpoint, we, we really put them into three primary classifications. The good, the bad, and the neutrals. So you've got the guys from, from the, the standpoint of, of us, mankind, as a species. There are those which are, you know, they affect us adversely. And then you've got those that affect us in a beneficial way. And you've got a whole bunch in the middle that are neutrals. And really, 
up until now, we haven't really had the technology to be able to study microorganisms. We're only now starting to find out what they can really do and how they can assist and help us. Um, so, yeah, it's what we, what we do is we concentrate on the creation or products that, that have these beneficial microorganisms, that when you introduce them into an environment, that environment now is improved. It responds positively. Okay, just before we get on to what we do with them, how do you harvest them? You say they're out there, they're everywhere. Yep. Um, how, in what form do you find them? Okay, so what happens the way we, we have a, a license agreement with an organization in America, we import a, what we term the mother culture. Now, this is basically, they've got the technology in the States of how to make this particular culture and how to put these different types of microorganisms together. Because it's not one. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a balanced um, assembly, you could say, of all different microorganisms which operate in a synergistic fashion. We then take that product and we then... Um, using that as the base. It's kind of, you could think of it like yogurt. Yes, that was what I was thinking. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then we extend it. In other words, we now create final products, uh, and it depends if we're looking at odor control or we're looking at livestock or we're looking at um, a golf course, whatever the case is. There are a number of different products that we have that we can then produce from those, from those mother cultures. So this big collection of imported mother culture can then be grown once it arrives here? Yeah, so it has the capability of being extended, uh, or you could say activated would be another way of terming it, um, which you can then do once off. In other words, once you've done that, you can't do it again because the balance of the microorganism, in other words, it's not a, it's not a perpetual motion machine. Um, because the balance, if you, if you activate it again, the balance of the microorganisms then goes out. And obviously you've got to do it, uh, you know, under very controlled conditions mm. and with the correct formulations and the correct food sources and all of those kind of things to ensure that you get a high-quality product at the end of the day. And then after that you can turn it into whatever you want. So it's, it sort of feels like, you know, a great big lump of plasticine that in a playgroup they would turn into a whole bunch of different things. So... Um, because your range of products is, is very diverse, uh, products for agriculture, livestock farming, home use, yep. environmental remediation. Just explain some of those, how you get this activated imported mother culture into all these different products. Okay, so essentially all of the products come in liquid form, um, which you can then apply simply, let's look at a household type environment. Um, you know, a lot of, I, I see up and down my street here, there's bins where guys take all their garden refuse and they jump it out and some guy comes along and he picks it up and he takes it to the jump, the, the, the rubbish heap. Mm. I throw nothing out of my garden. Everything gets recycled. So it all goes down to the bottom of my garden. Um, it gets put into a compost heap. We add these, this, the, the liquid to that compost heap. And A, I don't have to turn it so the, the whole issue of making compost becomes a lot easier for me and it takes probably about a third of the time that you would normally have so that's one example okay All so of that's our sort kitchen of a, waste okay go into a indoor composter so 
So we compost everything that is in the house, and then again, that goes back into the garden. So these are just two little examples. Um, we use the, my wife uses the products for cleaning around the house. So rather than using a disinfectant or you know, that kind of thing to kill the bad germs, what we do is we, we repopulate our house with good bacteria, which then combats the bad. So, are so you it's making a different way of, of viewing microorganisms? Yeah, so those would be two different products. I mean, don't anybody sure. think that what you're pouring onto your compost heap is what you're cleaning the kitchen with? Because obviously not. But so the the cleaning liquid yes. is is also made. You know, the idea of of using a cleaning liquid made out of microbial um, base it, it it seems to go against everything that we've ever been taught. You know, because what yeah, you want to do is sure, get rid of because, the bacteria. Because not, the, We've been, we've been indoctrinated with this philosophy of kill the bugs, kill the bugs, kill the bugs. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't. The bottom line is they won't die. What they do is they just, they either disappear for a while before they come back or they mutate into another form. So rather than, than trying to combat them directly, we'd rather use their brothers to combat them, if you understand what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think so. I think I'm. I'm so, so, my head's been slightly addled by what Danielle had to tell me, but I, yeah, I think I I'm getting it. So, so the composting liquid that you put on to break down your compost, the cleaning materials, and then environmental remediation. What what does that mean exactly? All right. So you 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 may have soils that have been contaminated with various types of chemicals. And look, it's a fairly technical field, and I don't want to go into it in too much detail. But the point is one can add microbes into soils that have been contaminated, and over a period of time, you can remediate those soils. To another way of looking at it would be um, agricultural soils that have been um, treated very extensively with agrochemicals, pesticides, herbicides, all of those kind of things to the point where the soils have become almost dead. Now, what you can do is, using our technology, you can reintroduce microbes back into those soils and rejuvenate or bring those soils back to life again so that they, they can actually you know, produce um, cons you know, yields that they were getting before and, in a lot of cases, even higher yields than they were getting out of the soils. Grant, is it taking off? I mean, you know, as you say, it sounds like a sort of a miracle way of using what's already available. It's obviously yep. it's a whole lot safer and kinder on the planet, but there's obviously a reason why more people aren't doing it. So, is yep. it is it do we need to package it in a different way? Do we need you to know do what? some it's awareness? It's education. We found certainly over the last six, seven, eight. Well, since we we started the business, which was back in two thousand six that the awareness is growing. And the primary reason for that is people are facing challenges, particularly our farmers, are facing challenges that they don't have solutions for. Yeah. And, you know, more antibiotics doesn't help. More chemicals to mask odors or try and control situations doesn't help. They, all that really happens is it leads, it may handle the problem initially, but usually what occurs is there's just another problem further on down the line. Mm. So, you know, we, we're dealing now with, with farmers that are using the product, livestock farmers particularly, 
where they're under huge pressures in terms of extracting maximum yields while maintaining low costs. So any time that a farmer can see increased weight gains or improved yields in his animals with a reduction in the amount of feed that he's giving them, he's, he's going to be more than happy. Mm-hmm. And these are the kind of results that we're seeing. Uh, improved quality of milk. Where and, and mainly what it comes down to is that the animal's health is better. Yeah. It's not under continual stress because the bacteria that we are putting in, the natural, the probiotics that we are putting into the animal, are naturally combating the diseases that the animal is encountering. Well, As a consequence of which yeah. there's less stress um, and the animal is happier and healthier. Well, I can hear that you are you are very firmly a believer, if not evangelical. It's certainly <laughs> really well, I've seen it. I've seen it. So, you know, time and time again in a host of different areas. And, yeah, it is frustrating at times because people, you know, it's just, I, I'm, I honestly believe this stuff should be taught at schools, you know. Yeah. Well, I suggest that you might be doing it, too, because you put it in very simple terms that even I could understand. Grant Morgan, thank you very much. Going to give out your website if anybody would like to find out a little bit more and become equally as impassioned as you are. Thank you very much. Take care. You're very welcome. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Grant Morgan, he is the technical director at Efficient Microbes. And if you would like to find out more and learn a little bit more about it, it sounds like microbes are the way to go. It's efficientmicrobes.co.za, efficientmicrobes.co.za. Well, we certainly have been getting very technical here on the Enviro Show today. I must say my head is spinning and it's full of cold as well, so sorry about the croaky voice. But at last, something that I think even I could perhaps understand very well. I think I'm going to be able to understand this very well. Because our last guest today, he is actually our green goodie for the, for the evening. He's Alan Fleming. And he's come up with the idea of using fish farming as a means of making jobs by fish farming in a container, which we thought was a very good idea indeed. Hi, Ellen. Nice to have you with us. Evening. Thanks very much. Good. OK, so the idea of fish farming in a container, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a, there are a number of things that you wanted to achieve here. One is to achieve fish at the end of the day, but also to create jobs in areas where jobs are scarce. Give us the plan. Well, the fish farm is really a response to some observed environmental and social um, and economic trends that I I saw in my work on the Cape Flats uh, here in Cape Town. Um, and what is your work? Uh, we run an entrepreneurial development organisation called the Business Place. Uh, it's a, a property uh, which we have on the, on the Cape Flats. Uh, it's the old cement factory. We have a few hectares down there and. Um, uh, we run an entrepreneurial development organisation. Uh, it's a walk-in development centre uh, where entrepreneurs from the local community, people without jobs, people with jobs, people with, with ideas, people with small businesses and large businesses can come and get um, some sort of advice, uh, training. We have training products, uh, free internet uh, service, um, legal advice. Sort of all an sorts incubator. Of so, yeah, that's mm. it. Yeah. So, and the fish farm really grew out of that. We, we have various projects, a container village uh, really as, a, as an incubation project for small entrepreneurs because there's such a need for, uh, for business space down there. We have 500 applications uh, for space from entrepreneurs waiting for business space um, in our small little business park. So we're putting down containers to assist them. Uh, it's going very well. But the container, in a, the fish farm in a container is really, I suppose it came out of me just messing around with containers for different um, uh, different purposes, 
and also from from uh, my interest uh, in farming. I have a farming background, environmental science background, and uh, always wanting. My wife tells me for the last 15 years I've been talking about uh, bringing fish farming into the city, and I'm a big um, a believer that I think we should uh, with with um, global trends of uh, urbanization mm. and huge uh, costs in transporting the food around the country and around the world, I really uh, think we should start looking uh, differently at, at how we produce our food, where we produce our food, and get more people involved in the production of that food uh, closer to where the vast majority of people live. Um, and there's some sterling efforts going on with uh, vegetable gardening and so on in the city. Mm -hmm. uh, I just took a particular interest in, in protein production. Um, and I always wanted to bring fish farming into the city, but there's some huge challenges to fish farming in a city. Uh, and that was answered by the by the container solution. Okay. We're actually going to be talking a little bit more about fish farming um, <coughs> on the show next week, but it's fascinating what you say, so particularly your Cape Flats industrial, your, your sort of container village there. So the idea of bringing, because as you rightly say, uh, lots of vegetable gardens going on, but, you know, man cannot live on, on cabbages and beetroot alone, <laughs> lovely as they are. So yeah. the idea of, of producing fish, which is becoming more and more of a sort of a luxury item for a lot of people, what fish are you farming? And in a container, how are you doing it? Lots and lots of water. Yes, that's the key. Uh, it's... Many people, when I speak to them, they, they, when I describe it, they, f they think that uh, it's, it's a container that I fill up with water mm -hmm. somehow. Um, it's not. You actually open the doors and walk into the container, and there's a whole bunch of tanks and pumps and filters and all the bits and pieces that you need to operate a fish farm stuck into the confines of a 12-meter shipping container. So the first prototype that uh, we built um, was literally some rain tanks uh, in a row, just with enough room down the side where you could walk down the side of these rain tanks, and then all the filters and so on that you need for a fish farm. Uh, and we threw some fish in and hoped they'd survive and s to see if it would work, and it did. The fish thrived, they bred, they grew. What um, sort of fish? We, we grow tilapia. It's a warm water, freshwater fish. It does tolerate salt water, but uh, it's mostly known as a, as a, a, a freshwater fish. It's a dam fish. Um, most of the dams uh, in South Africa have these things. Um, and uh, tilapia is a bream. Um, and we use tilapia really because in a low-skill environment, which is what we work in, uh, they're quite hardy fish, so you can take a, they can take a couple of knocks, they can be abused a little bit, um, the water doesn't have to be always crystal clear, um, and uh, so they're a good fish to, to really uh, cut your teeth on if you're a learner fish farmer. Okay. In the community. And are they, are they, how long have you been going and are they breeding? Because I imagine, <coughs> you know, the, the proof is in the pudding. If they respond to being in confined spaces and if they're breeding, then you know things are happening. Is it, are they happening? Yes, they are. Uh, the, the tanks that we have aren't really conducive uh, to, to breeding. Uh, the tilapia tend to prefer um, smaller tanks with uh, uh, a little bit more uh, security. Uh, in an open tank, they don't really tend to breed uh, as voraciously as one would want them to. But that's not really the point. The, the point for this fish farm is what we call a grow-out facility, where you buy them in as babies or fingerlings or fry. 
um, and you grow them to, uh, to a plate size, probably 400 to 500 grams, it takes about six months, and you sell them on. So it's really the, um, it's, it could be considered the lowest uh, profit point of growing a fish. Uh, the, the hatcheries that we grow them from, uh, you know, they sell these things for about a rand each, and they haven't spent any food on, on producing mm -hmm. these, uh, these things, really. So it's so, sort of like fattening, uh, fattening a calf, I correct, suppose, isn't it? I, just uh, looking at the running out of time, and I'm just mm. thinking of the water. Water is a, a scarcity. We had lots of wonderful rain here in the Cape uh, over the last couple of months, but um, to fill a tank, to fill one of those sort of rain harvesting tanks is a lot of water. Yes. Do they? Does it not need to be circulated, rotated? Does it not to be, uh, you say they don't mind if it's not crystal clear, but presumably it needs to be pretty yes. clean, certainly yes. not have any toxins in it. And do yes. you not need to give them something to feed on, some sort of mi microbicides or something? Yes, uh, <clears throat> we're feeding them with a standard uh, fish maize-based pellet, uh, but um, we're looking, we're working with Stellenbosch University uh, in association with AgriProtein to produce food out of uh, the soldier, uh, black soldier fly um, maggot or the, um, pupa. Uh, so trying to get the food taken out of the human food chain, the maize, and produce a, a, a food for the fish which isn't uh, maize-based. So lots of exciting developments uh, coming alongside the fish farm. Even these discussions you've been having about the microbes mm. fascinates me because there is so much that we can do to keep the water clean uh, using microbes, uh, to produce energy, to run pumps using microbes, which is what Danielle spoke about. Uh, you know, I'm really the center point, this, this fish farm, uh, I, I'd like to invite anybody who might have a, a technology to keep the water clean, some sort of nanotechnology, yeah. nanofilter that will kill viruses. We should do a bit of um, networking with Danielle, don't absolutely, you think? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. In fact, so. I think you did invite Bruce Robertson, who's a very well-known chef here yes. in the Cape. You brought him along to have a look at your burgeoning tilapia, uh, and he was very, very excited. So can, can one come along? I mean, are you able to sell the fish yet? Don't yes, want to have people yeah. making a stampede to to the <laughs> container, but what's what's the bottom line here? Yes, the fish. We've sold quite a lot of fish, uh, several tons already, to uh, local restaurants. Mm. Um, and several uh, tons. Wow. Sorry. Several tons. Yes, yeah. the fish one's been going. Uh, our first prototype has been going uh, two years now, and we're on to our second prototype with different tanks. We're packing more water into that container so we can get more fish out, uh, which will give the fish farmer uh, around about three to four thousand rand a month. In, in profit for his labors. So uh, we're very excited. I mean, I'm going up mm. to Kenya um, at the end of the month. To, uh, this, this particular fish farm uh, has got into the finals of the uh, Simon Stichting, uh, which is Foundation Award, 800 entries from 90 different countries uh, for the Empowering People Award. And um, it's in the last 23 out of 800. Uh, the only one in South Africa to get into the finals. So it's very exciting. And, uh, Let me shake you by the hand, young man. That's absolutely <laughs> no, wonderful. So you're also a name to watch. That's fantastic. No, we'll look forward to hearing more, Alan. When you come back, perhaps give us a shout and let's find out how you got on. My pleasure. If you would like um, go, uh, to find out a little bit more, I don't know if you've got a website and you've got a, an email, which is alan at thebusinessplace.co.za. Okay. Uh, website? No, not yet. No. Anything you want to know, get in touch with us. We're at the Enviro Show at SA, uh, no, enviro at safm.co.za. But if you'd like to get a hold of Alan, go and see his fish. It's alan at thebusinessplace.co.za. Thanks very much, team. That's uh, Kim Winter, Garnet and Quinica, and I'm Nancy Richardson. Up next, it's time for Stephen Kirker. And I've got your name right this time, Stephen <laughs> Kirker.